Thank you, Philip. That was wonderful. Man, if that could be our story every day, we could go to bed every night and say, I've tried to love you today, Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you, he's never got up and thought, well, will I love him today? Because his love is never failing. As we continue studying and preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, we look at chapter 8 today on the laboratory of life. This one, I think, will really hit us all. Boy, it hit me right square between the eyes. and uh, Very in-depth, and one that really called Solomon into question in his own life, and you can see him wrestle with it and then come to the conclusion of what is true and what is vain. You know, every day in our lives we make decisions. Every day. This morning you made decisions. As I walked the hall, they're like, why didn't you wear your colors? I said, I am wearing my colors. They said, well, I thought you'd wear Georgia Tech or Alabama. I said, I'm wearing the colors where my money goes. And, you know, I had a decision. I hung, I brought some Braves jerseys, and I love the East Side jerseys. Winners, walk off last night. Uh, great, great team, great uh, bonding there. Uh, you know, many different colors. We, we made a decision what we would wear this morning. We decide what we're going to eat and whether we will exercise. These are honestly, and I know the eating part may, may not completely, you may not completely agree with me, but these are kind of easy questions. Kind of easy questions. If you said what to wear is a hard question, you've got too much, honestly. What it, those are easy decisions we make on a day-to-day -day basis. What about some hard decisions that we have to make? What about life support? What about <clears throat> uh, right to die? What about whether to take chemo or radiation? What about where I'm going to school and what my major is going to be and who am I going to marry? What about those? Those are hard decisions. Would you agree? Now listen, we're not done yet. We hadn't finished. So let, let's, let's get focused. We're here today not to be entertained. We're not here for anything else but to hear from God, to worship Him, and to lift Him up above all other things. And I pray that if we'll open our hearts and open our minds God will speak to us to make our life more enjoyable, more valuable as we serve Him in His plan and purpose for our lives. Easy decisions, hard decisions, and every decision really is an ethical and moral decision. Where will I work? What relationships will I be involved in? What about our finances, politics? Religion. They say the two things, if you want friends, never to talk about is religion and politics. But there are decisions that we have to make when we go to vote as Americans. And if you don't vote, if you're 18 or above, you're not registered, you're not voting, then just be quiet. You live in America with a right, a right unless you have forfeited that right because of whatever thing you have done, 
but in your right, register and vote. You, but they're hard decisions. They're ethical decisions. They're moral decisions. And something I want you to understand, everyone in this room, hear this, every decision you make has implications and consequences. Every single one of them. But I just, I just drank two beers. Yes, but that person in another car is dead. But he told me that he loved me. Ethical, moral decisions with consequences. You know, we're so quick to throw out our opinions and we'll get on Twitter or we'll get on social media and we're just saying, and we're just saying, and we're telling everybody how we feel because there is no face-to-face confrontation. And we express our opinion because in our mind, we think that's the one that matters more than anything. But in that decision to open our mouth, there's consequences. There's consequences. Someone once said, decisions are the hardest moves to make, especially when it's a choice between what you want and what is right. Amen? That's a hard decision. My third favorite quote in the world, Philip Jensen, an apologist out of Australia, New Zealand said, Christians make decisions based on the rightness of the action, not the outcome. That's hard. It's easy to write it, harder to do it. Let me give you an example of a moral dilemma that had great implications and consequences. Golf is a game of rules. It is a game of etiquette and ethics where you are playing the course, and you are in charge of your score. And rules have consequences. If you ground your club in a a hazard, it's two strokes. If you hit into the water, it's a penalty stroke. And all these kinds of rules. And the most harsh of the rules is signing an incorrect scorecard where you fudge a number, or whether you write a number down that, and listen, it doesn't matter if it's in the other people's benefit or if it's in yours. Signing an incorrect scorecard is automatic disqualification. Automatic disqualification. Now, I've been around uh, enough golf to see that happen, to see both sides. Well, let me tell you what happened last week. Not a 26-year-old PGA professional making a gazillion dollars. Not some 24-year-old phenom uh, out of Asia playing on the LPGA Tour. But a high school girl in, I believe, South Dakota playing in the state championship. She was head and shoulders above everyone else. And because of her score now in high school, your score does not count alone. It counts for a team score. You have 
other team members and they combined the score. But when the round was over and everyone's scores were tallied up, she was the low medalist. She had the lowest score by far of everyone else. And with her other team scores, which were good, they were going to win the state championship. That's a pretty big deal, right? It's all about the ship. It's all about the ring. They were going to win the state championship, and she was going to be the low medalist for the entire state. Except for one problem. She called her coach over. No one saw it. No one knew it. But three or four holes before that, she had wrote down that she had had a four. She had taken four strokes on a hole, and she had actually taken five. And in going back over her score, she realized her own error. The problem was she had already signed her scorecard. Verifying, putting her name on that card says, I attest that this number is right. There was not an official that called her out. No one saw it on TV and called in and reported it. There was no other team that says she cheated. She called her coach. She said, Coach, I have signed my scorecard with the wrong score. He said, there's only one thing to do. And she said, I know. And they called the head official over. And she said, I signed the wrong scorecard. They didn't say, well, you didn't mean to. The rules doesn't change because of intent. She was disqualified. And her score was disqualified. So not only did her team, or she not win her low medalist of the entire state, her whole team missed out because of one stroke that would not have even mattered in that tournament. But in her heart, See, this girl can go to heart, go to bed the rest of her life and there'll be days where she's heartbroken but she'll never wake up with regret. Somebody please say amen right there. Decisions have consequences. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, who is as the wise man? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face to shine. and The boldness of his face shall be changed. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what are you doing? Whoso keeps the commandment shall feel no evil thing. And a wise man heart discerns both time and judgment. Because to every purpose there is time and judgment. Therefore the misery of man is great upon him. For he knows not that which shall be. For who can tell him when it shall be? There is no man that has power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. 
There is no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Decisions, decisions. As we look first in the first few verses, I want us to ask the question, will we rebel or will we regard? We face authority every day, whether it's employee, whether it's the government. Will we speed or not speed? Will we follow the laws of the government when it comes to my taxes? Or will I say, I deserve this? And nobody will know. Rebel or regard? Let me ask you. Here's what we have to ask ourselves. Should I obey? He says in verse 1, A man's wisdom makes his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. The word wisdom here literally means to be skillful in knowledge, knowing how to handle the knowledge we've received. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath, of God. Now stay with me because I know some were already trying to jump the gun and have our reasons why or why not we should obey. Well, notice what he tells us in verse 2. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment. Yes, but what if the king's commandment is in complete opposition to God? How many here pay taxes? Raise your hand. And we pay city, local, county, but you pay state taxes, am I right? We pay federal taxes? Or let me ask you to be honest and truthful. Do you think that our state and federal government Spends all that money godly and wisely. Do you still send your taxes in? Why? Because there's consequences, right? And yet, we don't agree. We don't agree with giving to support abortion. And I pray that that continues to dwindle because of God's people praying and doing it right. Because listen, there are times to stand up, and we're going to talk about it in a minute. But we've got to ask ourselves, if we do it, will God honor my rebellion? If I stand up, and there are people who have rebelled in such ways as blowing up abortion clinics. Let me ask you, is God honored in that? Is God honored when a bunch of people claiming to be Christians stands out at a military funeral or stands out to pick it in any way and holds up signs and declares that God hates people of any kind? God hates sin. Are we all good on that page? But God sent His Son to die for people. Is God honored in my rebellion? Should I obey that which is diametrically opposed to what I stand for? 
When I was pastoring the First Baptist Church of Hiram, Georgia, I told you the story of where they had the referendum on pouring on Sundays and we tried to get together with other churches and try to get a movement to stop that thing. And there was a, only 44 that voted for it to pour alcohol on Sunday. Number one, I don't pour on any day. But Sunday, I mean, come on. But only 44 voted for it to happen. The problem was, in a city of tens of thousands, only 33 voted for it not to happen. Only 33. And so it passed. And today in Hiram, you can go just about anywhere and get you a mixed drink or whatever on Sunday. Here's the deal. I didn't move the day that election came in. I didn't pack up, quit church, and leave because there was still a fight to be waged the right way. For all of us, there's decisions in this, and they're hard, aren't they? Are these decisions hard in our life? These ethical decisions, should I rebel against the teacher who's making me do something I feel like I shouldn't do? And I'm going to tell you, it boggles my mind. Even in a day where that kind of stuff is going on where a teacher says, yeah, you know, they're teaching them that we ought to respect the Muslims but not respect Christians and all these other things. You know what? We are to respect Muslims. But that doesn't mean you have to teach my kid how to say prayers during Ramadan. And you know what? I would respectfully take my child out of that class instead of trying to burn the classroom down. But it goes both ways. Is God honored? Is the love of Christ and the holiness of God seen in my life? That's what Solomon is trying to say. He said, there's days in my life where I have not honored God. There are people who have not honored what God would have for my life. Look in Romans. Look in Romans, because right now you're saying, I don't care what you say. They don't do... And here's the deal. We've taught our kids to show complete and utter disrespect to anyone in authority. My parents, and I'm just telling you how I was raised, and you pretty much know after six and a half years, but if it was absolutely against everything my parents, what God's Word said, we were to walk away. Not stand and pitch a fit and yell back at adults. But I see it every day. I see them, you're disrespecting, blah, blah, blah. Look, walk away, you're a kid. You don't pay taxes yet. You haven't went to school. You've never worked a gainful day in your life. Just be quiet and walk away. Let somebody who's done all that other stuff fight your fights for you. That gets to our point in just a moment. Romans 13, let every soul be subject. How many souls? Every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? Here's the deal. Whether it is George Washington or George Bush, whether it is Jimmy Carter or Donald Trump, 
whether it's Abraham Lincoln or Barack Obama, God's still in control. You hear me? God's still in control. Whether it's a dictator, whether it's fascism, socialism, communism, republic, democracy, whatever, whatever, it doesn't mean it's bringing honor to God. But one thing is for sure, God's still in control. And we need to remember something. God did not make you his tier one special operative to make sure all of his vengeance would be settled. God uses us, but make no mistake about it, there's a judgment day coming. God's not missed a single thing. God's not forgotten it. God's not ignored it. But God has a plan. And our job is to obey. Whoso therefore resists the power, resist the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you, have you ever seen God change the heart of a ruler? God changed Nebuchadnezzar, didn't he? That's the most blatant change I can think of. Well, let me ask you, if four, five, six thousand years ago, God could change the heart of a vile, wicked king of Babylon who built an idol to be worshipped and taught him to worship God, don't you think he can do whatever he wants to with a president or a senator or a mayor or a governor? So where's our focus? Are we obeying with the purpose of honoring God or are we rebelling for the purpose of honoring us? Will God honor my rebellion when he tells us in Romans that we will bring damnation to ourselves? For he, he said in verse 4, he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. Now let me ask you a question, practical question. How can a man or woman who is a wicked ruler be the minister of God for us, for good? How can that happen? Because the Bible just said it. Do we believe the Bible? Do we be, believe the Bible? Let me, let me add to you something. quote I th saw this week that I th thought was phenomenal, and I'll paraphrase. Anyone who tells you they have a new revelation of God and it agrees with Scripture is unnecessary. And anyone who tells you they have a new revelation of God that disagrees with the Bible is an apostate and should be cast out. In other words, there is no new revelation. We've got it all right here. We've got it all right here. And what God's Word tells us in verse 4, for He is the minister of God to thee for good. God means it for good. Has God ever done something good through something or someone that was bad? I'm pretty sure Genesis 50, 20 says it exactly that way. For you meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. Joseph's brother sold him into slavery, and God allowed it. God didn't cause them to sin, 
because sin is the corruption of that which is good and God cannot be corrupted. Sin is not the absence of good, it's the corruption of good. And they corrupted that which was right, loving their brother. And they sold him. But God allowed it to happen because he had a plan for Joseph to save his entire nation and people through being in Egypt. Isn't that what he said? Did Jesus have a plan when he came to earth? Was Pilate a good godly man? Was Pilate more worried about his political prestige and power than doing what was right? Did he not say, I find no fault in this man? Is that what Pilate said? And yet Jesus was still crucified. Why? Because Pilate was wicked. Pilate was a man who was worried about Caesar, worried about his little realm of power. Are we more worried about what we've got and what we have and our rights than what God wants in our life? Because Jesus was willing to stand there and take the abuse and take the persecution and down a cross. And a man who is wicked, God used to bring honor and glory and good to all of us. Will God honor my rebellion? No. Am I willing to accept the responsibility if it's not rebellion, but it is a refusal to do that which is wrong? Sometimes there's a place for that. Wouldn't you agree? Daniel was just that man. They said during a certain time of the day they were to do what? They were to stop everything and with the blowing of the trumpets and the psalters and the harps and all the instruments playing, they were to stop what they were doing and pray to that idol. Is that right? And the three Hebrew boys and Daniel said, we won't do it. They didn't stage a protest outside of Nebuchadnezzar's palace. They didn't hire attorneys and everything else. They simply got on their face, turned toward Jerusalem, and they prayed. And when they came and they said, are you not going to? They said, we can't. That's not God. They didn't show disrespect. They were not trying to be ugly and to try to be caustic. But they said, our God is really God. They had a plan. Now listen, am I willing to accept the responsibility what did those three boys tell, them, tell the king? Said, you may throw us into the fire and we may burn. But one thing we do know, our God will be with us no matter what. Daniel was willing, what did he do? He turned toward Jerusalem, prayed, throw his windows open, get out, pray. And people started seeing it. People knew about it. Just like Haman with Mordecai and others, they see it. Because I'm going to tell you the truth. Listen to me. If you're standing for what's right, you don't have to be boisterous. You don't have to write it on a Christian t-shirt and wear it, have every Christian bumper sticker. If it's in you, it'll come out. People will know where you stand. They'll know what you won't do. And a lot of times where we stand is by what we don't say. 
Daniel prayed and they went and snitched him out. And they said, Daniel, is it true? He said, yeah, it's true. And he was cast into the lion's den. He knew there'd be repercussions if he continued. Listen, young people, don't be surprised when you stand for what's right. You're going to lose, and I'm not going to say friends, I'm going to say relationships and acquaintances. You'll lose jobs. There's been people who have quit jobs because it impeded on truth. And that's okay. Doesn't mean burn the place down when you leave. It doesn't mean cuss everybody out and tell everybody what you think about them and where you think they ought to go. It means simply to make a quiet stand for the Lord. Y'all with me? Am I willing to accept the responsibility? Because it will come. Now, look in verse 3. Verse 3 tells us, Be not hasty to go out of his sight, the king's sight. Stand not in an evil thing. What's he talking about? Retreat or remain? Will I run? Will I desert? Will I just say, I ain't going to say anything, I ain't going to do anything, I'm just going to leave. Listen, if we're going to leave, then we at least need to biblically let people know that we stand for what's right. Daniel didn't just simply say, I'm going to pray, but I don't want anybody to know. He was not afraid to stand for what is right. Is it about principle, though, or preference? Do you, you just don't like somebody? You don't like the way it is? You don't like the songs? You don't like the preacher? You don't like the mayor? You know something about them from back in the... I want to ask you, are you the exact same person you were 10 years ago? And if we could all have a visual reality of our past pop up right now in little screens like they have on TV all over this place how many of us would run and hide for fear of everybody seeing our skeletons all of us all of us the truth is do we judge ourselves with the same harsh judgment we judge everyone around us because of preference listen Is it about being principled, making a decision based on the rightness of the action? Or is it about what I want, what I can get out of life? Is it about being immature or integrity? Here's the difference. How many spies went out of the wilderness into the promised land? Twelve. And how many came back and said, God said, that's ours, let's go. Two out of twelve. Give me a percentage on that. About 8%. 8.32. No. 8%. 8% to 10%. I got Philip all 12. He's in it now. He's got to figure it out. Listen, my brain, I, you don't know how many times I've almost called you the last couple of days. Emily's taking accounting class, and I actually thought I was going to sit down and help her with college accounting. Yeah, and y'all know I don't do numbers. 8%. Pretty close, wasn't it? 16%. Okay. 16%. That's even better. There's a thing that... John Maxwell, in all of his leadership books, and he didn't start it, but it's the truth, he calls it the Pareto Principle. 
The Pareto principle is that in church or even in any organization, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. How many did Jesus say was going the broad way to destruction? Many. How many is going the narrow way to everlasting life? Few. 80-20 may be a very conservative number when it comes to that. It may be very, very lovingly looked at there. Is it about immaturity or integrity? Twelve spies, two gave the right answer. Ten spies said, oh, but we're like grasshoppers in the side of these giants. Or is it about integrity like Joseph who said, I don't care how beautiful you are. I don't care if you think we can get away with it and nobody else will know. You are Potiphar's wife, not mine. I will not be a party to this. Right? We do it because it's right, not because it's convenient. We do it out of integrity. Solomon, so many times he's saying, do as I say, not as I do. Because Solomon was an 80 percenter. He did that which was preference. And even though he had great wisdom, too often his immaturity was showing and his integrity failed. Will we retreat and just run off? And look what he, he tells us. He said there is, I believe in verse 8, there is no discharge in that war. Now, all of you who served in the military, when you leave, and you leave the right way, you leave with a, what kind of discharge? And then you get a form called a DD-214, I believe. And that's where you show everybody so you can get your GI Bill stuff and you get the right loans and, you know, you can apply veterans uh, affairs and all that kind of stuff. You've got that form. It says, this person was honorably discharged versus dishonorably discharged where there is no benefits and there is no respect. It's a piece of paper that said, yeah, they were here and we got rid of them. Immaturity versus integrity. Integrity is a man or woman who has served their country faithfully. And when they left and they took that uniform off, they did do so honorably. And that's why we respect them on Veterans Day. And should every other day of our life. But you know what? We're soldiers in the army of the Lord. Will we get to the end of our time where he tells us in verse 8 there is no discharge in this war will we fight the good fight of faith will we stand facing the enemy because I'm going to tell you something if you feel like you've been stabbed in the back it's because God did not give us armor for our backside the armor is a helmet of salvation and a shield of faith and a breastplate of righteousness with our feet protected and, and girt up by the gospel. Why? Because God's children are meant to do one thing and one thing only. Advance. We're never to retreat. 
Now there's a time to reform at the rear. There's a time that Jesus slipped away into the wilderness for refreshment. One of the greatest miracles in military conflict was exactly that. It was not a retreat of quittle. It was not being resigned to the fact that we will lose. Matter of fact, one of the greatest inspiring speeches was given based on this act during war. And it was the boat lift of Allied soldiers from a place called Dunkirk prior to America's involvement in World War II. Churchill was begging Roosevelt, please send us some ships, anything. And because of a a doctrine that we had passed in America, we were to remain neutral. And we were not helping. They were able to get every person who had a boat in that channel from the British Isles to sail across that English Channel and rescue almost 350,000 soldiers. Now here's why I say it was not a resignation from quitting. It was not a discharge. They got those soldiers back. They saved them from imminent doom. They reconfigured, regrouped, retrained. And in 1945, the same army that held them to a point of almost certain death at Dunkirk surrendered on VE Day. There's a time to stand. There's a time to regroup. But it's about principle, not preference. Are we to resist or respect? The latter part of verse 3 said, Stand not in an evil thing. Now what he's talking about is getting mad about something and so you go and you build your own consensus and your own team. You know what happens in a church when that happens? It's called a split and nobody wins. Staff member who don't like another staff member. Uh, uh, Deacons who don't like a pastor. A pastor that don't like the deacons. Goes both ways. There's pastors, plenty of them that's guilty. It's going to a meeting and saying, well, I don't like the way that goes. I don't think we ought to spend it. And so we go and we talk it up to six or eight of our yes men buddies. And we get them on board. And we, get, and we start building our consensus and our power. And before long, we've got this army against this army when we ought to be just one body. Listen. Will we resist or respect? What, what is my motivation? Peter told him this way. There's a time to resist. Do you know that? Can I tell you, I'm going to give you the honest truth. There are two absolute times where you ought to fire me. On the spot. On the spot. I don't care loyalty to the pastor. I don't care we ought to honor the pastor. There are two times where you ought to fire me on the spot. Number one, if I ever preach or teach anything that doesn't agree with this book. Now, I'm not talking about things that we may disagree on, say, in the spiritual gifted realm or 
you know, sprinkling versus, now I, I believe in immersion. You may believe that it's okay to sprinkle. I, you know what? I don't believe anybody's going to go to hell for that. I just don't. But if I disagree on the foundational principle, virgin birth, sinless life, sin's atonement by the blood of Jesus, a true, literal death, burial, resurrection, a real virgin birth, the priesthood of the believer, those things that really, really matter, then fire me. Or a complete and utter moral failure. Y'all agree? Deacons, you agree? How many times have you ever seen a church fire a deacon? Goes the same for them too. How about a Sunday school teacher? How about someone that is in leadership but never shows up? Our nominating team just met this past week. We had about an hour and 45 minutes of tremendous Christ-honoring prayer and looking over and praying about our new teams to go forward at Eastside Baptist Church. And I'm, I'm truly excited. I am about where we're going, what we're going to be doing. Some of you have already received phone calls. Some of you be expecting phone calls. Can I tell you, if you're receiving a phone call being asked, number one, it's because you've been prayerfully considered to serve in that position. And number two, we have seen your faithfulness. God has seen it, gave us your name to serve in that place. It's not because you're specially gifted. Maybe, maybe it's not because we think you're just the bomb.com. But it's because God said, you are the woman for that job. You are the man for that job because you're faithful and you serve. It's not about being important. It's about being humble. What is my motivation? Peter said, it's better to do what? Obey who than who? When they said, you've got to quit preaching this, you've got to shut up, or we're going to beat you up. He said, it's better to obey God than man. Is that not right? So what's my motivation? Is it to bring honor and glory to Christ or to bring attention to myself? Is it God honoring? Peter honored God in that. He didn't say, you try that again, don't forget, I got a sword and I'm not afraid to use it. Didn't Peter do that? Was it right when he used it? It was so wrong, Jesus immediately healed the boy's ear that Peter just lopped off. And in his righteous indignation, he went straight out and denied the one whom he said he was defending. So be careful. Is it God honoring? And am I willing to pay the price? They didn't say, Peter, you're so brave. You got such big muscles. You're so handsome. I think I'll give you a raise. We are we we're, we're sending a cruise ship to get you to bring you back to Jerusalem because we want you to have a, a month long sabbatical. We want you to have a massage and just loosen up and relax because you've really poured it out for Jesus. Boy, we have never lived in a time where we think we deserve more than we do today. There have been people from the beginning of time who have been persecuted and given their life 
for standing and resisting that which was wrong. Today, all around the world, Christians' lives are in peril because they, not because they're out marching in the streets, but because they're privately sharing Jesus or giving the Bible to somebody. My favorite quote, I told you what my third one was, I told you what my second one was last week. My favorite quote, my favorite quote, let's see if you know who said it. He is not a fool to give up that which he cannot keep, to gain that which he cannot lose. Who said that? Who said it? Jim Elliott said it. What is Jim? Jim Elliott lived to be 99 years old and built a huge library and has a wing at a seminary. Did he uh, retire from ministry and start a parachurch ministry and go out and have missionary cruises and get all the best gospel groups to sing? He died on a sandbar in the middle of the jungle of Ecuador when a tribe that he was trying to reach with the gospel overrun him and Nate Saint and a few others and killed them as they were trying to share the love of Jesus with them. He said, I, I'm willing. I'm willing to pay. If you want something good to read, you read anything about Jim Elliott or Nate Saint. I've got a book in my office called The Jungle Pilot that flew the plane that landed on that sandbar. It's about his life, about how God used them. They were willing to pour it all. They knew when they left America they may never come home. Am I willing to pay the price? He said, I don't think I'm a fool to give up all this stuff that I can't keep to gain the glory of the Lord that I cannot lose. And then recognition or refusal. Look in verse 5. Whoso keeps the commandments shall feel no evil thing. I'm going to tell you something. It's one thing to do wrong and to go to bed miserable. It's another thing to do right and be mistreated and go to bed with peace knowing you're right with God. Am I right? After this time, they arrested Peter, didn't they? When I just told you what he said, it's better to obey God than man. He said, the, all them other guys said, you may think that, but we're going to make you pay for it. They locked him up and they were going to kill him. Am I right? And they chained him to two guards. And you know what Peter did? Peter didn't say, hey, can you give me a little slack? I've got to rub my hands together and worry with a furrow on my brow, I'm just, I can't eat, I can't do anything. You know what Peter did? He went to sleep. Now, I don't know about you, when I get tore up about something, I can't sleep. Does it sound like Peter was worried? And when they had a prayer meeting, listen, they had prayer meetings back in them days. Wouldn't that be a novel thing? If we said it, he said, what can we do? Man, we've got to reach people. We've got to be relevant. We've got to make it catchy. You know what? Let's have a prayer meeting. Oh, that won't work. I'm going to tell you. That's what they thought. Why'd they have it? Because they thought that's what you're supposed to do when you're a Christian. So they had a prayer meeting. Oh, we need to pray for Peter. Peter's down there. You're going to kill him. Just give him peace while they kill him. And yet God... 
shook the jail, broke the chains. Peter said, peace out. Walks down the street, just kind of nonchalantly walks up, knocks on the door. A little girl, I believe her name was Rhoda, walks up and opens the door. Little kid, you know, because the adults are busy. And so the, they said, hey, somebody's not, go see who it is. We're busy being spiritual. She goes, opens the door. And like, if it was a kid today, yeah, what do you want? Hey, tell them Peter's here. All right, hold on. Slam the door in his face. He said he's Peter. Peter's in jail. That's what we're praying about. You go tell him he's crazy. It, uh, it's some kind of fraud. Somebody's gotten our password and they're scamming us. They went back. They said, you ain't Peter. I am Peter. I'm Peter. I don't have any ID, but I'm Peter. He ain't leaving. He says he's Peter. Good grief. I'm sick and tired of people interrupting when I'm trying to be spiritual. They open the door. It's Peter. How many of us are absolutely blown away when God answers our prayer? Yet he's still God. Why are we so surprised? He walked on the water. He healed the blind. He raised the dead. Why? Why are we so surprised? We need to recognize who he is and what he can do. He tells us right here that we ought to have discernment. Discernment, what does that even mean? It means we recognize it for what it is. We need to recognize instead of refusing. We need to recognize there is a plan. God's got a plan. It's God's will. God's got a will for your life and your life and your life and your life and your family and your job and our church and whatever we do, God's got a plan. Amen? We good with that or we need to camp out right there? Now if we just trust it, believe it, God has a plan. There is a process. It's called God's way. Not our way, God's way. God's way. Now I don't know about you, but sometimes I want to help God. Say, God, you just don't know the pertinence of this situation. If you would just, God said, same thing he asked Job. He said, can you measure the universe in your hand? Can you fearfully and wonderfully make a human? Job says, no, God, I can't. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong unto God. Isaiah 55 says that his ways are not our ways and ours are not his. Job says, oh, how magic, mystical, how, how wondrous is my God above anything I could ever ask or think. There's a process, and it's called God's way. There must be patience. It's God's timing. It's God's timing. I don't know about you, I pray, God, give me patience and give it to me right now. It's tough, but God's got a timing for our life. 
There will be protection. Look what he said. He says that you can't avoid, avoid death. And we don't know the timing of all these things. He said, because to every purpose there's a time and judgment. Verse 7, for he knoweth not that which shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be? There is no man that has power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, but we know the Spirit has power to retain us because the Bible says we've been sealed. Amen? The power of God in our life, the hope of glory. There is God's protection in our lives. Will we recognize or refuse? Next week I'll try to look at the wisdom contrasted in how we make these decisions between a worldly wisdom and a godly wisdom but as they come to the instruments maybe right now you've been battling with some decisions on what to do what to do about some finances what to do about a job can I tell you if God says quit the job God will give you another job it may be a while. I'm not going to tell you it's going to happen magical. Don't come back and say, oh, you know, you said. I do know one thing. I know what God's Word says. How about that? Y'all want to hear what God's Word says? God's Word said, King David said, I was once young, now I'm old. Yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. I will tell you the words of Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. I will never leave you. And I'll never forsake you, even to the end of the age. So the question is, will I trust Him? Will I follow Him? Will I pray? Because listen, you know what the answer to this is? Stop and take a deep breath and say, God, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? Right now as we stand I want to ask you, will you come to the altar and say, Lord, what will you have me to do? To be a soul winner, to be a mother, to be a, a student, to be a teacher, to be a coach, to be a boss, to be an employee, to be a husband, to be a wife. God, what would you have me to do? I'm tired of making the wrong decisions. Lord, direct my paths according to your righteousness. As they play, come. Come find the answers you so desperately seek.